0: Welcome to the Pacey Performance Podcast. Today, I'm speaking to first-team sports scientist at PSV Eindhoven, Ruud van Elk. Thanks for tuning in to this episode of the Pacey Performance Podcast, so today I'm joined by first team sports scientist at PSV Eindhoven, Rude Van Elk. So it's been a, uh, an ambition to get more people from Europe onto, onto the podcast. So hopefully this is one of many that's going to come up over the next couple of weeks and months. Um, but Rude's a top guy, um, really knowledgeable guy in terms of the data side of things. Um, obviously been the, been the sports scientist at PSV. So in this episode, we discuss everything from uh, choosing technology and the process you should go through when deciding which or what piece of technology um, you're going to go with, a club or a university or whatever it may be. We discuss data visualization, which is a, a big thing that's that's getting you know finding its way more into uh, professional football clubs and people are actually realizing its uh, its potential value um and injury prediction models uh, which uh is a very interesting side of things that um that Root gets into in the episode
1: for me one of the most important things in, in bringing new stuff into a into a football club is the fact that if don't overdo it in the beginning you know if if we start throwing 15 different metrics uh new metrics at our coach uh on day one of pre-season that will never work so uh start start small uh, do the most important things and then slowly try to build it up to a more complete picture. So just before we do get into the episode with Rude, just want to say a
0: massive thanks to valve Performance makers of the Nord Board for sponsoring this episode today and also Force Dex for sponsoring this episode. So if you haven't heard of Force Dex, Force Dex are a company that specializes in dual force platforms uh, as well as the, the necessary software that goes with it. So, if you do want to know more about ForceX, I would encourage you to listen to um, episode 139 of the podcast, where Dr. Daniel Cohen, who is a co-founder of ForceX, talks about everything to do with um, jumping, landing, force plates, um, and it gives you it'll give you a nice insight into what ForceX is about. So, I'm just going to get straight over into the episode with Rude. Hope you enjoy, and I'll speak to you soon. Thanks for tuning in to the Pacey Performance Podcast. So today I have the pleasure in speaking to First Team Sports Scientist at PSV Eindhoven in Ruud van Elk. So welcome to the podcast, Ruud. Thanks. Thanks for having me. That's nah, good to have you, mate. So anyone that doesn't know who you are, just want to give us a little bit of a background on you, uh, maybe what you've done in the past and
1: what you're currently doing and where you're working. Yeah, sure. Um, I've been with PSV for the last five seasons, starting in 2012. Um I have a background in, in sports science, did my bachelor's in health sciences and a master's in, in sports sciences, um, University of Maastricht in Holland. Um, started interning at PSV um, and um, yeah, um, kept going over there. So um, started in the academy, um, mainly doing some, some S&C work um, for I think the first two seasons, under-17s, under-19s, under um, and then grew a bit more into the, to the sports science role. Um, and since 2014, I'm um, uh, uh, full-time working for mainly the first team, still do some, some academy stuff as well. Um, so yeah, that's, the, that, that's been the last five years for me, yeah.
0: That's cool. So you want to give us a little bit of a, just a, a flavour of the structure at, at PSV and maybe um, obviously through the academy and into the first team? Is, there, is that a kind of a, a seamless transition for players or is it quite um,
1: kind of um, segmented? Uh, no we we have one facility where we train together so it's, it's two different buildings but it's really close together so the the, the lines are really short um, especially in the last uh, couple of years the club invested more and more into the into the uh, into the academy so uh, players are getting through more and more we have a goal um, saying in 2020 that we want to have 50 percent of our uh, first team selection t- uh, to be youth players um, last season we were on 40 percent so we are uh, probably getting close wow. Goal for the next few years will probably be to get more guys uh, playing in the starting eleven. In um, the last two seasons, it was about two, three, four guys, maybe maximal playing in starting eleven from the academy. But there's that, some something to gain in that in that uh, direction. Um, but yeah, the, the academy is doing is doing really well. Uh, players are getting through, so uh, we're happy with that. Yeah. So anyone that's
0: not based in Europe may think that. Um, obviously, this is the Premier League and the, the kind of money that goes, is flying around the Premier League, that that also translates to what's in Europe, but that's not the case. Um, do you just want to give us a little bit of a background on, uh, kind of, well, very short, on, on Dutch football as it, as it kind of stands? Because it's been going through a little bit of a... Um, not, great, not a great
1: time. <laughs> no, especially, especially the national team is yeah. f- struggling at the moment. Yeah. Um, I think yeah, one of the, the things that's happening in Holland over the last years is, is the fact that we are uh, losing the players to the big leagues uh, even earlier. So um, the guys we sell are probably 20, 21. Um, so if they want to play in the first team for two seasons, they have to be ready, have to be ready at 18 or 19. Um, so our league is getting younger and younger. Um, we played a game... Uh, Lot, two years ago, sorry, with an average age of I think 21.5 or six, which was the youngest team in the Champions League ever. Um, so wow. I think that's that's the the biggest thing that's happening in Holland. The league is getting younger and younger, and players are leaving uh, even earlier than than a few years ago, um, which makes it uh, for us, of course, hard to compete, but also it challenges us to get the guys ready even at even a younger age than. So how's that
0: affecting your, I mean, on, on you on the physical side of things and that physical background, how's that affecting how you do things with the under-16s and the 15s and 14s? Because they're going to, at, at 16 years old, leaving school, they need to be nearly ready.
1: Yeah, yeah. So I think I, the, the focus on the, on the physical side, especially in our academy, uh, shifted a bit. Um, so if you look at our... Uh, Performance department, which contains the sports science uh, SNC, and as well as the video, um, that, that expanded a lot over the last couple of years. Um, in the academy, we have uh, three full-time SNC coaches now, uh, who do both field-based and, and gym-based conditioning. Um, and three years ago, there was just uh, one guy working in the academy. So, if you look at the investments on the on the physical side, that's that's been huge over over the last few years. Yeah. Because I know that. Especially
0: with with um, certain certain people preaching certain things um, coming out of Europe. Um, what what's what's the club's take on the physical side of things? Because like I said before, any, anyone coming from probably not outside Europe gets the maybe gets the picture that um, in Holland or in Italy or in Spain, no one touches the gym. Everything's with the ball. Everything's outside. Is that the case at PSV, and is that the case in
1: Holland as a as a whole? Um, speaking for us, not at all. Um, yeah, we, we do a lot of gym-based conditioning as well, and our s and coach is on the pitch every session with the with the, with the team. So there's, there's been a uh, there's been a great increase in that. Uh, looking at the other Dutch clubs, um, I think especially for the smaller ones. If you look at the few big ones, that it will probably be pretty much the same, but. The smaller ones often don't have um SNC coach in the academy or it are guys that are doing are in an official role and combining with combining it with an uh, partly SNC role. Um, so that's probably one of the things that's happening in Holland, the fact that um, there's not that much money <laughs> and people have to do two or three roles uh, within uh, within uh, within one job, um, which makes it hard. But I think for the for the big clubs it's definitely not the case now.
0: Definitely mm-hmm. Mm-hmm just moving on to the um the kind of meat of the chat and i just wanted to touch on before we get before we get kind of get into really get into it i just wanted to get your view on um uh, technology and, and specifically uh tracking technology how obviously it's a it's a, it's a huge thing um obviously in, in europe uk us wherever you wherever you go now but from a from a provider point of view, how, what process did you go through to actually choose who to use? And that's not just athlete tracking, but that's maybe uh, the same process you'd go through if you're you were ad, you were advocating uh, something for the, for a club as the as a whole. But how did you go through the process of saying to your guys, this is what we
1: should get? Yeah, um, I think for us, one of the things was. Uh... We were really looking into a um, into a solution that would be both beneficial on the physical as well as the tactical side. So we wanted to we wanted to have real real tracking. Um, one of the things I always try to say is that GPS can be really useful, but it's in my opinion it's not tracking. Uh, it doesn't tell you where a player is exactly. So uh, it gives you information about how far you run or with what speed he's running but it's not giving you real tracking information. So we always opted for a real tracking solution as it can be beneficial on both the tactical as well as the uh, physical side. Um, And uh, I think the other thing for us was the fact that because we have a small team, um, we are not able to to do everything ourselves. So uh, we have to automate a lot of stuff. Um, We don't have 20 guys or 15 guys working for the the academy and as well as the first team. So uh, we also looked at solutions that were able to uh, to analyze data quick. Uh, I don't want to wait for data for 24 hours or 16 hours. One of the, the quotes of our of our head coach, uh, in choosing our solution for instance, he said, "If we play a league game on Sunday afternoon, and um, we play Champions League on Wednesday night, we have Monday morning to look back at the game because we train Monday morning, recovery session, guys go back." go back home and Tuesday will be preparation for for the game on Wednesday in the Champions League so we have a window of about 16 hours to uh, analyse visualise the data and give feedback to the players as well before uh, the recovery session begins so our data has to be back immediately after the game Um, so that's something we really looked into before choosing a a match solution as well So do you so what 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 actual video tracking solution do you use? Uh, currently, we are using SportView for the for the games from stats. Okay. Um, yeah. And in the training sessions, we use the Emotion system, which is a a Dutch based or partly in Austria, by the way, but it's it's, a, it's a, originally a Dutch company. Uh, and they uh, have a radio based uh, tracking system, um, which which uses fast, comparable to the GPS, but it's it's a lot more accurate. We can measure with a thousandth yes, uh, of Really high measurement frequency, which makes it really accurate, and that way we're also able to use it on the on the desktop. So, how do you integrate two different systems from a train solution
0: to a match solution?
1: Um, within the Emotion software, there's a, a, an import solution for uh, quite a bit of video-based systems right now. So, our um, uh, guys that go to the game uh, for the sport view, uh, they make an export after the game. Um, and we can directly import it into our SQL database, uh, which has also which also has the Emotion data in it. So we we get one solution uh, where all the data is stored, and we can analyze from there. So we can use the same filtering and stuff that we use in the in the training sessions, which makes the data uh, a lot more comparable. Of course, um, the way of collecting is, is still different, but we can use the same thresholds and stuff like that to analyze it. Mm-hmm. So get
0: into the. Um... What you mentioned there with regards to the automation, Can yeah. you just want to talk to us a little bit about what you mean by that and the processes and um,
1: the process you go through to actually put that into place. Yeah, um, I, yeah, I think it, it, it all started with with the uh, expectation from my head coach to get data back as soon as possible after the game. Um, so uh, we tried to to cut out as much uh, time consuming steps as possible. Um, what we do now is uh, with the sport view, you already do a lot of the, um, uh, the error control live during the game. So there are two guys in the stadium uh, controlling your data. Um, if you compare that to, uh, for instance, a product like a Meshco, then you have to send over the video feed and they will do it for you. But that will take you 12 to 14 hours, I think. And we do it live in the stadium, um, which makes it uh, maybe a bit less accurate. Um, so uh, we don't have all the time in the world to control it because it has to be done live. So there's probably one or two mistakes in there, um, but the fact that we can give feedback way sooner because of it, it was a big advantage for us. So we do the, the quality controlling live. Um, when the data comes into uh, our database, so we import it in the in the Emotion software. Um, I think the biggest the biggest thing we do is we have a, a standardized set of uh, uh, things we want to analyze uh, and that's been that's that runs almost automatically so we have to give in a little bit of metadata so we have to say this is where the match starts um uh, 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 this particular number of shirts this this player um we have to connect him to the to the right player in our database and we divide up the game in six parts of 15 minutes normally um so the, the two halves um and when we, when we press our analyze button then um Everything we want to calculate has been done automatically, so it's all programmed up front. Um, it's been written to our SQL database, and from there we get, we have standardized reports, uh, also pre-programmed. So um, if we get our data back, uh, we put in a little bit of context. takes us maybe five minutes. Uh, we analyze the data, and two or three minutes later, we have complete match report ready. Um, so, for instance, if we play uh, a championship game, uh, we can have the data... Uh, Back to Holland and an away again Back to Holland and back to the coach within hopefully ten to fifteen minutes after the game.
0: So what what uh, what metrics are you actually looking at and reporting back to the coach?
1: Um, on the on the physical side, uh, there's a few things we focus on. Um, I think it's it's pretty much standardised things like work rate, high intensity distance, uh, number of sprints, uh, cells. decels. Uh, the only thing with the video based tracking systems is that the acceleration and deceleration. Uh, values are not that reliable. Uh, it's, it's especially in the smaller Dutch stadiums is often really bad. So we uh, we tend to be a little bit uh, uh, we tend to take them out a lot of the times actually. Um, so then it will be uh, uh, work rates, high intensities, uh, number of sprints in different zones, stuff like that. And we always combine everything with our uh, event data set. So we buy our event data from a Dutch company um, uh, called Ortec. Uh, comparable to Opta, which is a lot of the form uh, computers. And what we do is we um, we import their CSV file with all the event data, and uh, we combine that with our physical data. So the coach gets just one report from our own team. So he doesn't get a report from from the event data company. And uh, we make one report with all the metrics in it. So on the on a data visualization side,
0: how are you are you vision visualizing everything in Excel, or are you using a, a third party? Uh, yeah, data visualization tool.
1: Yeah, um, yeah. We started out in Excel, of course, a couple of years ago. I think uh, our own reporting started in 2012, I think, uh, experimenting with that, and we started out in Excel. Um, really soon, Excel became to handle uh, all the data anymore, it's because if you are limited to a million rows, it's uh, it's, it's pretty down. Uh, <laughs> yeah. So um, uh, when we transferred all our data into the SQL database, uh, we started experimenting with with other uh, tools. Um, we started in the beginning with a report build from Microsoft, uh, which uh, which is a pretty powerful tool. But in the end, we found that um, you can only use uh, one data source in there. So uh, if you use just SQL or just an Excel file, it's fine. But we wanted to combine CSVs and, uh, and APIs as well. So we are moving towards um, uh, Tableau and ClickView right now. Um, we are still a little bit in the process of, of choosing the solution. Um, they both have advantages, disadvantages for us. So um, I think in the end, uh, uh, Tableau is, is the easiest tool for us to use um, because it's, it's really fast, really quick, visualizes quickly, uh, which makes it for us really fun to uh, experiment as well. Click uh, needs a bit more programming still, uh, but it's a really powerful tool. Um, and we already have a server license for that, which makes, it, which makes it easy for us to use. So right now it's still a combination of of both click view and, and tableau so with tableau is there any coding experience necessary or is it all drag and drop um it, it's it's pretty much drag and drop if you know a bit of SQL, it's nice um uh, especially if, if if your database is not completely structured yet um i think our database is, is is built up pretty pretty decently right now and for us it's pretty much drag and drop right now sometimes if you want to have some some custom visualizations with our not built in, you have to do some programming, but it's pretty much drag and drop.
0: So with these data visualization tools, which are becoming more and more popular, what are you looking for from something like that? What was the process that you went through
1: when choosing it?
0: What was uh, necessary?
1: Um, yeah, for us, definitely because we use a few uh, different data providers, uh, the ability to, to connect with those. Mm-hmm. Um, so we wanted to have uh, a, a SQL a bit, uh, possibility. We wanted to use Excel and CSVs, of course, uh, XMLs. We wanted to be able to uh, connect to our um, uh, player monitoring uh, tool online, which had, a, had a, has an API connection. Um, pretty much all of us right now can do that, uh, but uh, that was one of the key things for us, to be able to combine all the data. Um, and I think in the end, what we are... Uh, li- that's why we are leaning to towards the blow a bit more and more. Is the fact that for me as a sports scientist, and for my for my colleague Yurts uh, as well, we are doing a lot of the work together. Um, the fact that we are able to experiment so quickly with with a tool like the blow uh, brings up a lot of questions, which is, in my opinion, always the way to go forward. Because if we want to build something in another tool, and it takes us, for instance, a few hours to program. You won't be experimenting that much. Uh, with a tool like like Blow, we we are able to put some data in, try something out for five or ten minutes. If it doesn't work, you stop, or you, you do something else. Um, with the other tools, you often have to be a little bit more sure on what you're going to build, um, and you experiment a bit less. Um, and I think that's, in the end, in, in our job, uh, uh, just juggling around with data, trying new stuff, is, is the thing that, that really helps you in the end. Mm-hmm. So is that is that tableau them tableau
0: visualizations going back to the coach, or are you are you kind of sticking with what he knows, or are you introducing him to to new ways to visualize the stuff that he actually wants?
1: Yeah, what what, what we try to do is we we try to work with version numbers, so uh, the coach has a like a, a final version that that goes onto his desk every day or after every game. So we have a few standardized reports. Uh, we do a standardized training report, standardized match report. Uh, he gets uh, weekly and monthly reports um, uh, based on a lot of data we got, and then we try to. And it's it's not always working because the schedule. We try to sit down once a month, once every six weeks, with the coaching staff or part of the coaching staff uh, to discuss things we develop newly. And and I think even more important if they want to see new stuff. Um, in my in my view, if the questions come from the from the coaching staff it will be something something they really want to have and something they want to implement fast. So uh, we try to look over all the things we got, all, all the new things we got, and in the end, we say, okay, if you, if you have anything you want to add or you want to get out of the reports, um, they can shoot at it. And I think that, that structure is really working well for us. Just going to take a very
0: quick break in the chat with Rude. Hope you enjoyed part one. So in part two, a little bit more on data visualization and also injured prediction models and whether they're worth it or not. So just before we get into part two, just want to say a big thanks to Fatigue Science for sponsoring this episode today. So on previous episodes of the podcast, I've stated the what I think about the guys at Fatigue Science and the actual tech that I'm wearing on my wrist uh, as we speak. So if you do want to reach out uh, and have a little chat about my experiences using Fatigue Science, a couple of people have done, um, so happy to, uh, happy to report back on, on my findings and what I've um, experienced day to day. But thanks to the guys over there for sponsoring the episode. Uh, And if you do want to know more about Fatigue Science, you can follow them on Twitter, at Fatigue Science. Or jump on their website at FatigueScience.com. So over to the part two with uh, Rude, and hope you enjoy. So one thing that I'd seen on, um, that obviously rears its head every now and again, which is injury prediction. Yeah. And there's a there's a couple of I'm guessing there's a well I know there is a couple of companies out there that claim to be able to to have a system that is um, that is going to solve all these injury problems. But is this something that you um, task yourself with to create these kind of models that that
1: could potentially go towards that? Yeah, um, I think I always have a bit of trouble with the uh, word injury prediction. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Me. An injury will never be predictable. You can maybe say someone's at risk, but really predicting this guy is going to be injured today—that that's, that's never going to happen. Um, I think uh, what we what we try to do is is slowly uh, close close in on, on the issues there are. So um, we don't have a solution that's in place right now that that combines everything um, uh, already. So. Uh, of course, we have, our, uh, we have our red flags when we say, okay, we see, we see this and this specific guy. And that's, that's, that's a combination of the guys uh, from the medical room, the coaching staff, the SNC staff, the, the sports science staff. Um, and I think the next few years, we will definitely be working towards a solution that will combine all the data we have on the, um, uh, yeah, let's say, let's say entry, prediction, uh, entry prediction models. I think in the end, it will be something we probably build ourselves. Um, as it's, I think, also really uh, something that has to be based on the club's views, and the, I think the way you train and the vision of the coach is something that has to be really built into a solution like that.
0: Mm-hmm. So how much? How much and that, that's interesting that you'd you'd choose to build your own rather than buy a solution in. Why? Obviously, you've you've, you've mentioned why you would do that, but why wouldn't other people do that? Why would people go off the shelf?
1: Um, I think it's it's often an easy choice um, yeah. getting, a, getting a product on that, that's already on the market. Um, for me, it's, it's a bit the same um, as, as the, the thing that a lot of, uh, for instance, tracking companies do is they, deliver, they give you reports as well. Uh, in my opinion, a report should be built custom made towards the needs you have as a club or as a team. Um, and if you have to call a third-party company and say, okay, I want to change this and this and this in the report, and they have to uh, write down uh, some consultancy hours, or they have to change something, and it takes, it takes a lot of time, I think pro football, it has to be so quick. You have to be able to do that thing in-house. And of course, uh, especially in Holland, uh, with the small teams, we, we sometimes have to make choices because the teams are small and the budgets are limited. Um, so that's probably one of the reasons we don't have such a solution already completely in place um but, but for me developing something ourselves may it, it could be with help of a third party company for sure but um uh getting an off the shelf product in my opinion is never going to work for us mm-hmm. so what what would you be digging a little bit deeper
0: into that kind of athlete management system um what would you be looking for such solution what 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 would you see in your head in a couple of years time it
1: looking like and doing um I think it's it's probably going to be a solution that that integrates um, a few of the uh, the separate data streams we still have. So, for instance, our medical database um, is still a bit separate from uh, from the rest we have. Uh, also, has to do a bit with privacy issues, of course, and uh, and the fact that what what can you use outside of the medical room. Um, uh, so, the integration of a, of a few things will be. Uh, mainly on the data part, and I think the next step will be then it will be to uh, to get a few good mat- mathematical models into uh, to say okay if we if we know for instance uh, we have a 3 year old guy with an ACL history uh, doing more than a certain amount of high intensity meters a week we know he's at risk um, but then the fact will be okay how are we gonna uh, Weigh those different factors into this this risk management issue. So, will H be more important? Will the uh, uh, will the ACL history be, be more important? So, I think uh, the weighing factors for those um, for those separate parts will be the interesting thing to look at for the future. Yeah.
0: So, on the data side, over the last couple of years since you've been at PSV, what what's the big lessons that you've learned uh, which may help those that are in your
1: position, as of five years ago, um, make sure you can do R or Python as a sports scientist. <laughs> <laughs> is that a serious? Is that is that something yeah. that should be a necessity? Yeah. Okay. I think so. A bit of. I think I, I didn't do enough programming in my uh, in my education, and I'm uh, trying to get up to speed now. And it's almost impossible when you have full time football to do it on the side. So um, I would definitely encourage people to. Uh, to get more data, like more data knowledge, uh, also on the analytics part, also on the statistics side, it's it's just really helpful. I think, in, especially if there's more and more data available, um, people with those skills will be will be really uh, will be really helpful. Um, yeah, but that's one of the things that changed for us a lot because, like five years ago, we worked with a few smaller systems and we had we had a little bit of data and uh, Excel would probably uh, do the trick. And right now, that's just not enough anymore. And you need more skills, more tool toolbox to, to handle everything. Yeah.
0: So, for anyone that doesn't know, can you just give us a, an explanation of what R and Python are, and then how how they would be used on a day-to-day basis at, at PSV?
1: Um, I think we, we don't use them enough right now. It's uh, R and Python are two comparable programming languages. Um, used to build uh, to make tools. Um. And I think the thing is, you probably will use a lot of uh, off-the-shelf software tools or uh, uh, products that are already in place. And if you want to go into real specific details, those tools probably won't won't do the trick and you have to build something yourself. Uh, And that's where where those two uh, languages come in uh, to help you, yeah. And they will be building what? Uh, it could be it could be a report, could be could be a piece of software, could be okay. uh, could be a dashboard that uh, uh, shows data online back to your to your coaching staff or whatever. Yeah, it could be a lot of stuff.
0: So how how many how long would it take to actually get proficient at these
1: at these with these tools? Um, <laughs> I'm I'm trying for years now to, to get it up to speed. <laughs> <a bit. laughs> um, I think if if you have a if you have a background, especially uh, more on the on the better side of things, you you can probably do it in a couple of months if you have a, if you have, if you spend your time on it. Um, um, there are, there are enough courses to do it online as well. Uh, but yeah, it, it it does take a bit of time to to get up to speed. And I think the thing that was really hard for me and still is is the fact that uh, the basics are pretty easy to get into, but then. Um, because we have already a really big data uh, structure in place with our database and our APIs and our our CSVs, Um, combining that from a a background where you don't have all the programming skills available um, into such a complex environment that that's already in place that that's the hardest step for me. So I wasn't able to to build it up slowly. Uh, I had to build up my knowledge from zero, and now I'm in a situation where... All the data already in place, so starting small would be really beneficial in that part. I think.
0: Mm-hmm. So, do you do you see that in the well, in the near future, I suppose as as we speak, do you see the sport, the role of a sports scientist coming more from a uh, that background rather than probably what it is now, with like you, you go through a standard sports science degree and you maybe probably come more from a coaching side. Are you seeing it more coming from a? kind of computer science data side?
1: Uh, yeah, probably. I think it, it will, will be depending on, on budgets as well. Um, probably if you are able to get a good IT guy in uh, doing that stuff for you, that will, that will be the best situation. Um, I think knowing uh, how to how it works and knowing, knowing, knowing the basics will be really beneficial as a sports scientist. I think our role in the future will be more and more in between, like in between the coach, the SNC guy, medical room, and maybe the new IT guy that you bring in, Um, knowing all of those fields a little bit will be really beneficial. Uh, But if you you work at a smaller club and you have the skills, it will be definitely a a big advantage uh, for you as a a sports scientist for sure, yeah. So is that
0: that your kind of innovation at at, at PSV and where you see things going from a personal and and a club point of view is making more of that kind of,
1: Digging in really deep into the data. Yeah, I think we are probably not gonna uh, buy a lot of new systems or do uh, a lot of new testing uh, within the, in the next few years. I think the data set we have right now it has so much information in it that we still are not able to get out. Um, so uh, digging deeper instead of wider will be definitely the one the thing for us for the for the next few years. Yeah, for sure. Mm-hmm.
0: So for for someone who's who's kind of maybe just bought a, a GPS system or just bought, I don't know, a HIV system. How what, what are the initially when you kinda of take yourself back, what were the first things that the first process that you went through to actually um know where to start? Like where do you start with this 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 huge amount of data that is pumped out from a GPS unit or a, a high rate, even a heart rate monitor every yeah. single day for every single player? What what's the process you go through to actually figure out where do
1: I start? Yeah, I, I think in the end, and I think as it's already in place at a lot of clubs, and if you have to start from from scratch right now, definitely uh, take a look at what others do, uh, try to get into a club, uh, see what they do, uh, get their best practices. Uh, there's already uh, a lot of really good stuff going on in, uh, all over the world, so uh, there's a lot to learn there. Uh, of course, scientific lit- literature will help you a lot. Um, uh, those studies can can always help you in in, in finding the the differences between the uh, reliability of different systems and 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 different metrics and and how to use them. So that would be the start. And then I think in the end, what what's for me one of the most important things in in bringing new stuff into a into a into a football club is the fact that if don't overdo it in the beginning. You know, if if we start throwing 15 different metrics, uh, new metrics at our coach uh, on day one of preseason. That will never work. So uh, start, start small, uh, do the most important things and then slowly try to build it up to a more complete picture. So this
0: is probably something that I should have asked before, but how, how is all this data that you're collecting and reporting back to the manager? How is it affecting the day-to-day practice
1: of the coaches who are actually taking the players on the field? Um, I think uh, what, what we try to do is we are... Uh, with the first team and the second team, not not for the, all the academy teams, but we try to be as much uh, close to the pitch as possible. So uh, especially during conditioning sessions, we are, we'll are be live on the pitch, uh, able to give feedback to the coaches uh, already over there. So we might make a decision uh, to, play, to play an extra block or to get one guy off earlier or to play him longer. Uh, that will be, I think, the most obvious uh, thing you can see around the pitch on the influence we try to have. Um and then back in the coaching room after the session, um, I think it's 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 mainly about getting your knowledge up and getting okay, seeing okay, what we what we've done today, those boxes, and uh, this one, what should we change in the next session to make that box or uh, if we do this session again or a comparable session, what things do we change? Um so it's it's also a, a, a I think a process that's that's adding value over time more and more. Um you know, getting that single report on the coach's desk is, is probably not going to change that much. Um, but doing it every single day and getting his knowledge up, getting your own knowledge up, that will be really beneficial over over a longer period of time for sure, yeah.
0: And how important is it to spend
1: that time in the coach's room with the coaches? Uh, I think I think it's really important. Um, we we do it a little bit different depending on what a specific coach wants. So for us with, uh, with the first team, um, Besides being on the pitch, we have our SNC coach for the first team and, and uh, Luc van Acht, who is our performance director, who's also working for the Dutch national team. He's doing a lot of the feedback with the head coach as they've been working together also as a, as a, as a player and a coach back, uh, back when Philip still played at the first team. Um, so that's that's the role uh, Luc has with the first team, uh, will be a lot of more direct contact with the coach. With the second team and the other 19s, uh, we will be in the coaching room a bit more um, because Lucas is not. Not there that much. So it's, it's also a little bit depending on what the coach wants. For instance, last season, we had a, um, a coach for the second team who was the head of our academy uh, from now on. Uh, and he always said, um, after the session, uh, send me the report uh, over email, which was his preference. And uh, we always did like a uh, uh, short summary of what our, uh, our main, main things were that we saw in that session. Um, and when he got the email he was able to sit down uh, looked at the report for f- 5 or 10 minutes uh, and then he came back to us with his questions uh, so we didn't sit down right after the session he always wanted a bit of time to look at it himself first so uh, depending on what a coach wants that's that's something we, we, we change as well it's, it's not like a standard thing for us that we say okay uh, half an hour after the session we have to be in that coaching room uh, that's something that has to develop and some, coach pre- some coaches prefer something else hmm superb so just to round up, um
0: yeah. where, where can people get to know more about you rude are you on social media
1: yeah uh Twitter for sure uh, if they want to let me on Facebook find as well uh, LinkedIn uh, whatever yeah and happy to people to reach out ask any questions of course, no problem
0: at all superb well thank you very much for your time and yeah, thank uh, you. thank good you. luck uh, good luck on preseason day one tomorrow yeah thanks man uh, looking forward to it so uh, thanks thanks, for thanks having... mate okay, no, thank pleasure mate thank you very much see you Rude see you thanks for tuning in to episode 146 of the Pacey Performance Podcast hope you enjoyed the chat with Rude so thanks for the, your constant support of the podcast if you have enjoyed this episode um, as well as any others uh, that have come before it Please feel free to uh, leave a comment, uh, a rating, a review on iTunes if iTunes is indeed the, the place where you listen to the podcast. Just helps the ratings. It allows people to more people to find the podcast uh, and the probably hundred and thirty odd hours of um, of audio that is that is on there from uh, SNC coaches and sports scientists from all over the world. So thanks again for your for your support. Hope you enjoyed the episode and I will speak to you soon.